0: This is Habitat Matters, produced by Architecture Today in partnership with Echo, a podcast series that looks at the challenges involved in putting biodiversity and green infrastructure at the heart of our built environment. Hi, I'm Isabel Allen, editor of Architecture Today, and this is 80 Conversations. I'm talking today to two architects, Joe Morris from Morrison Company, and Agnieszka Glavashka from Haptic Architects. And we're here today to talk about biophilia, uh, which is, well, Wikipedia, I just looked it up, defined nice. <laughs> as the innate human instinct to connect with nature and other living beings. Um, and we're particularly looking at the challenges and benefits of trying to incorporate biophilia in the places where we work and live. So, um, Joe, I'm going to start with you. You've just won planning permission to reinvent as glass and seal office into something that plays to our need to connect with nature can you tell me a bit about the brief and what it says about changing attitudes to the workplace
1: sure we've been working with british land on and off now for quite a few years and um they've you know i guess as a as an organization they're you know they're classic top tier developer kind of estate kind of owners type thing um and so these sorts of projects. I guess, in our in our kind of, you know, looking back, aren't necessarily the kind of high profile things that people get excited by. But actually, for us, you know, we're, we're incredibly excited by it. And um, so British land, with their estates of buildings, which, again, on the face of it, aren't the things which people get excited by, and the things you might do to those is, is, as far as I'm concerned, the challenge that we face. So rather than sort of shy away from them and uh, spend all of our times working on projects which have that kind of eye appeal, you know that kind of you know sort of you know the, the, they're easy on the eye. We go the opposite way and try and find ways of connecting um, and improving buildings which do the kind of the opposite, basically, not by design but by default. So this project is uh, uh, it's one of a number of buildings which the um, the British Land own in the Paddington Basin, um, at, or called Paddington Central. Um, And it's a building which is, you know, it's less than 25 years old. In fact, I think it's 21 years old. So it's kind of new. And it just goes to show you how far I guess we've come in our thinking in a relatively short space of time, because it as a as a building is the absolute antithesis of everything that we espouse at this moment. So the whole idea of nature, amenity, um, opportunity for serendipity, for chance encounter, for exchange, for engaging people at ground and all sorts of things, this building does none of that. It's a hermetically sealed, faceless, characterless glass and steel box, you know, um, a corporate um, kind of rollout of efficiency over program. So to change buildings like this uh, is actually really difficult. If you're not adding anything, if you're not adding any additional area to a project, then it's very difficult for clients' viability to make sense of any investment. You know, what's the point of it for their cash flow, for their investors? So um, ordinarily on these sorts of things, the way the way um, a, a project like this would happen is you sort of add something somewhere and the process of adding it generates area, that area yields a rental income over a period of time, which then can be transferred back into something which creates the fun bit. So this building doesn't do that. What we've done here is we've decided with British land through a sequence of studies, feasibility, concepts, strategies, that sort of thing, is that if we were just to in effect open the facade up and get people to kind of step outside, then there is value in that programmatically. And that's where they can basically forecast an uplift potentially, which makes sense for their viability. And that, to my mind, is kind of quite an unusual, you know, it's really, we've never done it like this before. Um, And um, so therefore, it became an opportunity for us to really, really, really kind of find the kind of critical um, uh, sort of points between excess cost, efficiency, richness, all those sorts of things, trying to sort of dial it in at the right area. And again, we're not trying to design something which is a sort of a beautiful thing in some ways. We're trying to wear it on its skin. We're trying for it to look different to the building uh, that we've inherited. We're trying to say that we've done something pretty um, pretty important. We've in- intervened in the building. We've created a sort of strange tension. It doesn't come from an, a, a, um, a sort, of, um, sort of architectural idiom of either vernacular or high-tech or contextualism or anything. It's pure programme. We're saying, what's the least amount of effort we can put in materially and in terms of engineering in order to do three things number one is to tackle sun so the building basically has you know it it overheats because it's just a sealed box so that's the kind of a a brief soleil number two is how do we um, improve the experience of people so therefore you create amenity and then how do you um, invest time in the planet and therefore biophilia or sort of you know planting is one of them but also Doing it in such a way that those three things combined have no increased detriment in terms of the carbon footprint of the building. So, for example, if you're doing you know, it's this whole thing, isn't it, about, you know, in the, in the midst of a climate crisis, you can't build your way out of carbon dumping. It's just impossible. So you have to try and find ways that over a period of time, the material investment pays back with a kind of net zero carbon. So,
0: um, Agnieszka, I'm going to go to you now, because obviously, um, you know, what Joe's talking about in a way is finding the lightest touch, quickest way to make our building stock fit for purpose. Um, I'm interested in the project that Haptic did, which won the Davidson Prize. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Because in a way, you've taken that one step further, haven't you? sort of made the building irrelevant and you've looked at a way of coming in and transforming it in, in a way that isn't architectural at all. Do you want to talk a bit about the project?
2: The Davidson Prize, we thought it was an amazing opportunity to rethink, you know, it was a sort of post-pandemic rethink of what the home and office environment might be and how we use our home, um, you know, following the kind of changes that we've we've seen uh, in in working patterns and and living patterns uh, through the pandemic. Um, And we, you know, we were all stuck in our individual homes uh, and thought, actually, this is a great opportunity to bring together a really interesting team. So, um, we we thought we're not going to come up with something really exciting on our own. We need you know to really get a very diverse set of voices and uh, people coming from very different perspectives to see what we could come up with. So we we, we worked with um, Squint Opera, uh, who are very much about kind of immersive digital environments. Um, we went to BioID at UCL and uh, found somebody there who was you know a really interesting research. Uh, a researcher who, who worked with us um, to think about how we can kind of uh, generate sort of natural forms through uh, digital means. We also work with Coda to Coda, who are a um, sound uh, design practice, and with um, fantastic uh, poets, spoken word poets called Lionheart. So we we were really interested in this sort of um, marriage, I guess, of, of, of these different influences, and to see what we could come up with. And we were all almost instantly all kind of drawn to this idea of, of of nature somehow. You know, so I think we started off with the idea that you know what we all miss and what we all love is the experience of nature, um, and that you know in our homes not everyone has access to this. Um, you know, when you kind of hear about people being stuck you know, on the first floor, you know, even, you know, up at the top of the tower block with a small, very small balcony and kind of having that feeling of um, no access through the pandemic, or um, only, well, I mean, you know, having to go out to the park, but that your home didn't offer you that sort of respite, potentially. So, and we also, because of the because of the team, I think we thought it was, we wanted to do something other than sort of physical uh, intervention and, and and something that was very... Could, could kind of have an effect on everyone, so it wasn't about a new typology for a you know a, a city block or a, or a kind of a type of room or a type of configuration um, of, of architectural space. But it was very much about um, anyone could have access to this. It was about looking at existing technology and thinking about having kind of looked and listened to quite a lot of different podcasts and you know um, looking at various research that was happening. We kind of came across this quite compelling idea of simulated nature could have this benefit on your well-being and, and uh, you know mindset um you know including you know in hospitals that you could kind of make people feel and get better quicker because they were surrounded by you know essentially fake nature so you could sort of fake it as well and, and this was really interesting idea especially with um squint opera on board and um you know that the, the capability of the bio id unit so we set about kind of imagining um, a a kind of, I guess we're still, you know, in some ways it's still quite ambiguous in that we think that, you know, it really is about um, using technology that you have around the home. So uh, objects that exist in your home and the idea of the kind of um, internet of things that you could orchestrate a a sort of um, kind of a a way of controlling these different um, elements Plus, adding others to it such as you know things that might um, monitor the air quality and and have a sort of effect or kind of things that can generate um smells um that that kind of that, that are kind of mapped to your home whatever home you have so you sort of you map your home uh, and it's a flat or if it's a house that the sort of it's it is a kind of an app i guess that kind of understands your home, understands your patterns of being and tries to kind of nudge you um, and help you to have good habits as well. So we sort of noticed that people are spending a lot of time, you know, sitting at the computer, forgetting to get up and move, you know, uh, forgetting to have a drink, forgetting to communicate, you know, um, with with others in a sort of more um, serendipitous way. You're listening to
0: Habitat Matters, Produced by Architecture Today in partnership with echo as part of their Habitat Matters campaign. Find out more at habitat-matters.com.
2: We just thought something that could, um, you know, that you could also sort of ramp up to your need for that nature to be in your home from, you know, total immersion to just, you know, a small kind of uh, sound that just reminds you that it's time to kind of, you know, <laughs> move around. Um, so we we just you know we're really ex- we were really excited about this and that's what we put forward um, and yeah and 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 won the prize so it was um it was really exciting and and felt like a kind of it, it couldn't have been really envisaged by any any one of us independently I think it needed that very um, dynamic creative process and and I think there's a sort of sense of magic I suppose my
0: one question is whether. Well, I say real nature. Obviously, all nature mm. that we come across is mediated by us in some way, isn't it? But you know, is it almost like, wow, if you do go down to the park with a broken swing and half a fountain and whatever it is, it's just going to be a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> <Is there laughs> yes. A risk people will never <laughs> want to leave their home and it'll be entirely counterproductive.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Certainly in the team, we're, we're all very nature sort of focused. I've got, you know, as you can see, there's lots of plants. Everywhere and and love going to the forest, um, you know, foraging and you know all this sort of stuff that happens. That is the magic of the real the real forest. Um, but you know, it's about really moderating your workday. I don't think this is about replacing nature. It's about making your um, your workday. And, and I think you know it, it was a response to the pandemic and the situation that we were all in at the time. I mean, we literally had not met. From the moment I, I had only met Alice from Squint Opera, the rest of the team members were I'd never met before, and we worked together. Obviously, Haptic was a, one uh, people from Haptic. But I met them, but actually, even from Haptic, one of the people is in Norway, and I've never met her. You know, um, and so we we worked in this incredibly intense uh, in, online environment, which sort of you know, and and in between, I would sort of play you know uh, videos of, of of forest sounds to sort of get myself. Into that feeling of, of, you know, what is it like to be, um, you know, it and it it feels lovely, you know, this sort of the sound of the forest, you know, even just from a video. So the idea of a sort of the ability to immerse yourself in your home with a forest, I think, was just sort of compelling to us and something just really magical. That kind of idea of these sort of almost a fairy tale. So I suppose on that note, Jeff, I go back to you that there's a I mean, obviously, yours
0: is a sort of less extreme kind of fantasy land proposal. It's very real and it's very corporate. But in a way, I've got the same question, which is if one was being very, very cynical about it, there's something that reminds me of, you know, there was this huge craze. I don't know if they still do it, but there was a sort of scandal when it emerged that all the big kind of city companies were bringing in hairdressers, tailors, dieticians, psychiatrists, doctors, and in a way it looks like they're looking after their workforce, but of course what they're doing is making less and less reason for anybody to ever take the time off work or walk to another appointment or think about an outside world. And, you know, is there a concern that you give people the access to nature that we know they crave on their doorstep, but what you're stopping them doing is actually going crazy with the office and walking out of that place and potentially... Going somewhere they don't know and just introducing that distance that is so important.
1: I don't believe that what we're doing is cynical. Um, I mean, I think there is a, there's a kind of la- there's a sequence of layers of of thinking in this where you know the you know the answer the answer to how the office should work isn't to do simply with kind of you know terraces of plants. I mean. For us, the the big thing um, to to focus on is to empower through technology and culture um, the ability for people to take control of how and where they work. So you know that's the that's the top game in the, in a way. So like, you know it's uh it's a, you know it's about investment in um, information technology. Um, which gives people an incredible user experience anywhere they desire to work, whether it's in a park, on a rooftop, in an office, in their toilet, whatever. Um, Then you've got to work out, well, what is it that the culture of the office is about? You know, what does the office function? What does it do? And it's no longer doing kind of desktop publishing, kind of emailing. It's pointless. What it does, it basically becomes a vessel for people to sort of share ideas in a really casual as, as you know picking up what Ag say in this kind of serendipitous way in which we learn through association and adjacency in a very casual um, sort of subconscious level that's massively important so you know therefore what is the office the office is about bringing people together and why does anybody want to come back to the office if you've given them every other liberation to work anywhere else and, well then you have to invest in what the office does and I guess this is one part of that it's a sort of it's a non-cynical way of creating a kind of lasting and positive um, complement to how and where you might work elsewhere. Obviously, it's a kind of one step in probably a ten-step program to to you know turn the current office stock into something which has all of that kind of meaningfulness. And again, you can't just do it through kind of one or two. Jet- There's so many things that we have to talk about. It's a sort of inside outside connection to landscape, transport. You know, so many things that sort of go into this. Plus the um, the need to ensure that you end up with a kind of richness in terms of um, occupants, of uh, diversity in occupants, affordability, um, uh, how the city flows into and around the building, all those sorts of things, all part of that same conversation. So, um, you know, at the moment, um, you know, this is, as I say, this is just one of those steps in in, in a sort of thought process that, that that we have. And it is
0: interesting, isn't it, that idea that people are choosing a, an environment as much as a a job or a career. And I think, I mean, I remember very, very clearly when I left architecture school and I had... um, I haven't managed to stick to this. I've stuck to one of them. I had, I had two criteria for where I'd work and it was, I wanted to be able to walk to work. I haven't managed that at all, but I never wanted to work under a suspended ceiling. That was it. I spent my year out under a suspended ceiling and I was never going to do it again. And I've managed to stick to that. And I've turned down jobs because of that. Wow. Um, <laughs> that was, that felt, I was a bit embarrassed. I mean, even admitting that now I feel a bit stupid. It kind of felt like a very, you know, non-focused thing. Whereas I think now, people are much more, they kind of, they own their desires in that sense, don't they? Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what? I want natural light. I want uh, the sun, elevation. I want a building that has this environmental performance. And I mean, that has to be exciting for architects, doesn't it?
1: You know, there's a, there's a whole other thing that comes with that, which is this idea, which is just picking up on your, your point about the kind of drop ceiling. It's about this idea that how how can you create an energised, pe- how do you create spaces which energise people, uh, whilst doing as little as possible with mm. you know materials, um, because I think you know the office culture is effectively people. The office culture isn't kind of big pink, fluffy poofs that you sit on and sort of you know strange <laughs> strange kind of gimmicks it's a sort of it's it's this whole idea of being you know really um, uh, really adaptive, really flexible, sort of future fitting ideas about kind of adaptive space which really focus on user and people experience that's the, that's the critical mm. thing that we 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 all need to i think sort of really focus on mm. and as i say it's um trying to get trying to get people that invest in buildings to really focus on that rather than what is the current approach which is you know the bco guidelines of efficiency and kind of how many toilets and you know user, user occupancy levels and the amount of lifts that you, you know all the guidelines which tend to kind of hammer hammer home how you design buildings. And it's very difficult to design gash space or kind of, you know, space which isn't part of a kind of core program. And I think somehow it's finding that balance and it's, it's, it requires a real, um, it, it requires a lot of effort to get clients and, and, and uh, investors to be in that space with you.
0: So, mm. Agnieszka, on that note, can you yeah. see a sort of corporate application
2: for your? home forest idea definitely um we you know we're kind of uh, thinking about how we can take this further if you like so clearly post pandemic like joe's saying you know we are desperate all to come back to the office where we're starting to do a lot more you know um sort of people-based meetings you know that the, the last week we had a lot of people in the office it's absolutely lovely um but i think you know that that idea that you know office is also might need a kind of office forest, you know, somewhere that you can also, you know, through your day, be able to sort of find these moments of kind of um, escape, um, you know, out of the sort of day, daily, you know, and and then they might be more about like, uh, like Joe saying, you know, more about people about, you know, making conversations around sort of things that are happening, these experiences in the office, um, enhancing, talking to each other and coming together through, you know, and it might be that the digital overlay becomes, you know, really important. And, you know, it is that, if you like, the ultimate, um, at least, you know, on the face of it, the ultimate non uh, kind of material intervention, you know, that that you can kind of do things that might really change your perception of space, your feeling of that space um, without actually putting in physical, uh, you know, items into 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 the room um so i think that that would be really exciting um you know it would be you know and i but it would require if you like somebody to want to develop it in in, in sponsorship because it is you know probably quite a lot of effort to really take the idea to something that can actually be implemented um but yeah i think definitely i think i can see the the the, the application of of this um sort of overlay, digital overlay as, as a something that could be really exciting addition to an office in the future.
0: Agnieszka Glavashka and Joe Morris, thank you so much for joining me today. In the next episode, I'll be talking to James Lord from HTA Design and David Mooney from the London Wildlife Trust. You've been listening to Habitat Matters brought to you by architecture today in partnership with ACO as part of a whole series of webinars and podcasts about bringing biodiversity into the built environment to find out more visit architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast